We've been doing a series, it's probably me trying to be, there's a little lesson for us here I think, I'm trying to be in control of my presentation using my iPad, and maybe there's something about me trying to control things that just isn't, uh, maybe there's something off about that, so I'm going to close this off real quick. We've been doing a series called The Secret Life of the Holy Spirit. Christians are interesting because... We try to be loving people, and we, we love God, but we're really poor at math. Because we believe that we serve a God that is three, but is also one. And everybody knows three doesn't equal one. And one doesn't equal three. But somehow, with this God, three does equal one. And one does equal three. I like what C.S. Lewis says about that, to paraphrase, he says, well, we know that Christians aren't dealing with a made-up religion because who would have made up something like that? Let me think. I'm going to go invent a God, and I know what this God's going to be like. It's going to be three people in relationship, yet it's one, but it's not just three, but it's not just one, and then you just kind of spiral around in circles. It's G.K. Chesterton once said that the, the doctrine of the Trinity, which is what we're talking about, at once boggles the mind, yet warms the heart. It's this idea of, I don't get that. And our hearts say, wow, I can't imagine anything better than a God that is family. And last, last week, I stepped out on a limb, and we asked the question, because we talk about the Father, God the Father, and we talk about God the Son, and we talk about the Holy Spirit, and I ask the question, well, we often refer to the Holy Spirit as He, but is the Holy Spirit a He? And if you want to know the lack of conclusion we came to, uh, I guess you can listen to the recording, because this isn't review time or, or time to rehash old things, but it was a lively conversation. You can say that much. So we're talking about the secret life of the Holy Spirit. And basically, for those of you that have really crazy good eyesight, you're just going to get to see a sneak peek of where I go before I go there. I had LASIK surgery. Anybody else have laser surgery at some point? I used to, my vision used to be 2,500. So if you know what that means, that's like something that normal 2020 vision you could see from 20 feet away, or from 500 feet away, I had to be 20 feet up to it. So it's like... I think that's a ceiling. <laughs> and then I had LASIK and my vision went to 2015, 2010 at one point. Um, why am I bringing that up? I guess because it was really nice to see. I was like, oh, look at that ant sending a text message <laughs> using the new emoticons. So if you have really good vision, you'll be able to see this. If not, just follow along. I actually included about... 78 scriptures in this talk to make up for some of the last few weeks, I think. But we're going to look at a lot of scriptures. But the thing that we're talking about, I want to talk this morning about the Holy Spirit's favorite thing. What is the Holy Spirit's favorite thing? Because what we've been trying to do is get to know the Holy Spirit as an actual person. We believe God is personal. And that the Holy Spirit is not this it or this force or this energy field or this entity, but the Holy Spirit is actually a person that loves and delights and joys and leads and speaks and guides and, 
as you'll hear next week from Aaron Serafin, the Holy Spirit teaches. And she's going to talk about what does it mean that the Holy Spirit is a teacher? And how does the Holy Spirit actually get these things into us? The things that the Holy Spirit cares about. She gave me a little sneak peek of it two nights ago. It's going to be good. It's going to be really good. So what are these things that the Holy Spirit wants to get into us? I have to tell you a quick story. I was going to bring it, but it was too many ingredients. Ignore the plane up on the screen. So I have um, 127, give or take three, food allergies, which makes life a little complicated. Some of you know how that is. But I found this amazing treat. And it's made by a company called Wholesome Chow. It's in Los Osos, and it's this gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free, egg-free, just keep on going down the list, and it makes you wonder, what is it then? <laughs> it's this everything-free brownie batter. And what I like to do with this brownie batter is I'll take a little bit of it, I'll pour it in this little tiny bowl, I'll add some water, and then I add peanut butter, and then I add everything-free cookie dough to it. So you can imagine, as far as gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, everything goes, like some of you that are gluten-free, like, tell me more about that. I see Lisa's eyes are like, what? <laughs> I can show you the packages later. <laughs> but it's amazing. It's so amazing, in fact, that every time I go to make it, there's this little person in my family that will drop whatever they're getting themselves into. Right now, it's that over there. I don't know what <laughs> he's doing up there. But this little person in my family will drop whatever he's doing. He will make his way over to where I'm preparing this, and he will stand right underneath me at my kneecap and go, da, da, and get louder and louder. And usually when I'm in the midst of mixing it up, I just kind of ignore him because I know what he wants. I'm like, okay, but I hear you. And so this is what he did the other day. He went all the way into the living room to Sarah, who's sitting on the couch, and she was working on her computer, and he goes, and he like taps her on the leg, and he points over to me, and he says, da, saying, mommy, get me some of that. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what Sarah did yet. But it got me thinking. And I wanted to talk for a few minutes. The clock is behind me now, which makes me feel really vulnerable. I want to talk for a few minutes, and I'm going to use the term few loosely about the Holy Spirit's favorite thing, and what does that have to do with Nathan tapping Sarah on the leg? And to start, we need to look at Jesus. Hey, somebody fixed it. Now let me see if I can not break it. I'm not going to touch it. Will you go to the first verse? All right. I'm not even going to. I'm going to stay out of control. Um, where we're going to start, Bree's like, that's a good idea. Where we're going to start is just a couple of scriptures that show us Jesus' own relationship with the Holy Spirit. It says that Jesus was the first person in history to have the Holy Spirit upon him and in him without measure or limit. In the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Holy Spirit would come upon somebody for a task or a purpose or a, a responsibility, but then kind of leave. It's like the Holy Spirit would come on like a jacket and then kind of just move away. And Jesus was the first person in history the Holy Spirit came upon and actually dwelt in, in an abiding, remaining way. John the Baptist says it this way. John the Gospel writer tells us that it says about Jesus, He is sent by God. He speaks God's words for the Father 
God the Father gives him the Spirit without limit. So Jesus has the Spirit without limit. Imagine, if you will, for a moment, an anointing upon your life where the Holy Spirit is absolutely 100% free to reign and do whatever the Holy Spirit wants. Can you imagine a life like that? Well, we can when we read the story of Jesus in the Gospels. I don't know about you, but I would love to be a little more open to the Holy Spirit's working and living through my life. Another thing is said about Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The Holy Spirit was on Jesus in such a way that there was so much authority that he said, all authority everywhere has been given to me. That's a lot of Holy Spirit. What's the next one, Taylor? Because I don't know. It says that Jesus in the Spirit had so much freedom. Jesus was the most free person that you could ever have met, seen, experienced. I feel so bad for my wife right now. Nathan's running over to the playground. Jesus was the most free person that ever lived, and the Holy Spirit was one that brought that freedom. Imagine being in a situation where somebody's disappointed with you or upset with you, and it doesn't just rock you to your core. Or imagine trying something and failing, and it doesn't change or affect the way you feel about yourself. Jesus was so free that he was not bound to needing to please people or to try to be what everybody wanted him to be. He was simply himself. He was so free, and that freedom came from the Spirit. Uh, A couple more. Jesus lived out of and exuded the most profound peace you could ever imagine. And Jesus tells his disciples in John 14, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. Now this word peace that Jesus is talking about, speaking of peace, as the kiddos try to sneak out, you guys don't have to be sneaky. Thank you for trying to be quiet though. Speaking of peaceful, I'm impressed with them. And there goes a Fela boy making noise. The word peace, real quick, I'll just say this. The word peace in English, it kind of, to us, it gives us a picture of lack of conflict, right? Lack of strife, like things being settled. But, but the Hebrew concept of peace is much richer. It's this idea of shalom, which one of the ways you could talk about it is it means Nothing is missing. Everything is put right. Have you ever felt like as a person there's something missing from you? Like there's just something not right? I don't know how it feels to have my Achilles ruptured, but I'm like, I can imagine it feels not right. Not to put you on the spot, but wouldn't it be nice to have that fixed again? Won't it be? It's been crazy to see what Janie's still been doing in the midst of having a ruptured Achilles. But this idea of shalom, Jesus says, There is a way of being where everything is set right. Nothing is missing. And he says, that's what I want to give you. And he says one more thing, and then I want to talk about how he gives it to us. He says a few verses later, I have said these things to you, talking about abiding as a, what is it? Abiding like a branch on a vine. Jesus says to his disciples, I've said these things to you so that my joy may be in you that your joy may be complete. There will be nothing missing from your joy. 
So Jesus has this profound anointing, this profound authority, this complete peace, complete joy, this absolute freedom as his person. And he says, I want to take this and I want to give that to you. And the question is, how does he do that? Does Jesus bottle up his peace? Or does he package up his joy? Or his energy, which some of us would absolutely take? Does Jesus bottle it up, package it up, and say, here you go, take this and and open it at your leisure? We go to the next one, Taylor. The beginning of John 16. Okay. Jesus says, I have said these things to you. And what Jesus is saying is, all of John 14 and 15, I'm going to leave you. I won't leave you orphaned, though. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He says, I have said these things to you to keep you from stumbling. Now, he's got good news for his disciples. They've followed him for three years, and he's like, all right, you ready for the good news? Here's what you can be excited about. Indeed, an hour is coming when people will kill you. And those that kill you will think they're doing God a favor. Well, that got really intense all of a sudden. They will think that by doing so, they are offering worship to God, and they will do this because they have not known the Father or me. But I have said these things to you so that when their hour comes, the time of this persecution and your death, that you will remember that I told you about them. That just got really heavy. Jesus all of a sudden just took this turn. He's talking about peace and joy and abiding presence. And then he says, oh yeah, and people are going to kill you. And this is what I'm going to do about it. I'm leaving. And then listen to what he says. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Probably because they don't want to know. They don't want to deal with the reality that he is going. Listen to this. Because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. That doesn't sound like peace. That doesn't sound like joy. That doesn't sound like freedom. That doesn't sound like anointing, authority. That sounds like sorrow. That sounds like this is bad news. I thought Jesus was all about good news. Did he change his mind? And then listen to this doozy. The Lord of life, the one that was on the boat and calmed the storm as the disciples are all panicking, the one that stepped up to Lazarus' tomb and said, Lazarus, come out, and awoke Lazarus from the dead. The Lord and giver of life says, oh, by the way, has it been fun hanging out the last few years? It's been good for me. Guess what? It's better for you that I leave. It's better for you that I leave. And they're like, wait a minute. So who's going to be there for us when the dead need to be raised or when the storms need to be calmed? Who's going to be there for us when all hell breaks loose, literally? Who's going to be there? And Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the paraclete, Do we have anybody that's a paraclete for uh, their occupation in here? 
We don't know what that word means, so some translators translate it advocate. The paraclete will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. This word advocate is a tiny translation of a really big word. Here's a few other definitions of what the paraclete word actually means. The one who exhorts, the one who comforts, the one who helps, and the one who makes appeals on one's behalf. Those are just a few of the multifaceted meanings of this idea of the paraclete. Go back to that really quick. Jesus is saying, look it, it's great that I'm with you, it's better that I send the Holy Spirit into you because the Holy Spirit has all this covered. And now instead of just me, there will be me and 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 me in you and you and you and you and you and you and you. Now there's not just one person that can go raise the dead. There's a whole community of people through whom life overcomes death. Now there's a whole community of people through whom truth breaks apart lies, who can calm the storms of other people's lives. Jesus says, it's better for you that I go away. And then he begins to make all these statements. Remember, Jesus had profound anointing, authority, freedom, peace, and joy. And what does Jesus do with that? How does Jesus give us that? He gives us the Holy Spirit who is all of these things in person. The Holy Spirit is life, is joy, is peace. Jesus gives us His own Spirit, the person, to walk with us in life, in our trials, in our struggles. What about this authority and this anointing? We go to the next one quickly, Taylor. What about this anointing that it says that the Holy Spirit was upon Jesus without measure or limit? Look at this. Jesus says, I tell you to his disciples, the one who believes in me will do the works that I do, raising the dead, calming the storm. Oh, and by the way, we'll do greater works than these because I'm going to the Father and sending the Holy Spirit. I don't really have a category for things greater than raising the dead. Or giving sight to the blind. But maybe there's something that we still are yet to tap into. So Jesus gives his anointing. He also gives his authority. Now this is freaky. And by the way, I think this might be a possible interpretation of the Ananias and Sapphira fiasco, if you're wondering. I don't have time to unpack that, but you can think about that. Let me know what you think later. Jesus says to his disciples after he's resurrected, he shows up, they're in this locked room because they're afraid of the authorities. They lock the door because they don't want people coming in, and Jesus just kind of goes through the wall and pops up in their midst. He's like, boo! No, he doesn't say boo, he says, shalom. And he shows them his hands and his side. And he says, peace, shalom be with you, As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Plural. When he had said this, he breathed on them. Is this a picture of something that you've seen before? A picture of Genesis and God breathed life into the lungs of Adam? Receive the Holy Spirit. Now think about this. This is a weighty sense of authority to be given. If you forgive the sins of any, 
they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Jesus is giving them authority to forgive sins. Think about that, what that might have to do with Ananias and Sapphira. And then tell me what you think and I'll learn from you. A couple other things that Jesus comes to give us and then I'll wrap this up. John 5.20, the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. And He will show Him greater works than these so that you will be astonished. Jesus lives a life in such freedom of the Spirit, such anointing of the Spirit, that when we see those things happening, it literally blows our minds. And it's founded in love. One more, Taylor? And I think there's maybe one more after that. The Father loves the Son and has placed all things in His hands. What are, what's in Jesus' hands? You can say it. It's not a trick question. The answer's right there. What, what is in Jesus' hands? All things. So the question is, what does Jesus do with those things? Let's go back. Go ahead and skip over that one. John 16. This is the last passage I think we're going to look at. I'm going to give you a quote, and then we'll say, what on earth do we do with this? John 16, 12. Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you're too stupid. No, he didn't say that. But you cannot bear them now. Have you ever asked God for insight into something and God's like, really, that would actually not be loving for me to reveal that to you? (laughs) Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is in the process of making us the kind of people that can be containers of the fullness of truth. There are some things that we cry out to God and God says, eh, it's actually not very loving for me to tell you about that right now. Because you would be crushed under the weight of it. You know that that actually has to do with calling sometimes? Have any of you felt at this kind of threshold, you know that God's calling you into more or something different, and you're like, God, just show me what it is, and God's silent? I think that sometimes God is working on the scaffolding and structure of our hearts and lives so that whatever it is that God places in us and upon us doesn't just crack under the pressure. I think that's partly what's going on here, and I think that's part of the work of the Holy Spirit. It's to make us the kind of people that can embody and contain the fullness of all of this. But listen to what Jesus says. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own, but will speak whatever He hears, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. Now remember, we just looked at some verses that we talked about what belongs to Jesus. The Father's love and the Father has put all things in Jesus' hands. And Jesus says, this is the Spirit's favorite thing. He will take what is mine and declare it, make it known to you. All that the Father has is mine, Jesus said. For this reason, 
I said that the Spirit will take what is mine and declare it to you. What on earth does that mean? Can I step back from my preacher platform for a minute and be really honest with you all? I have no idea what this means. How's that for driving the point home? Let's wrap this up with a bang. Let's end on a crescendo as a communicator. I don't know what I just said. That's awkward. Why do I say that? The Holy Spirit's favorite thing is to share with us everything that Jesus has. And what is the most important thing that Jesus has? The most profound, the most intimate, the most peaceful, the most full of assurance, the most secure, the most joyful, the most delighted relationship with God the Father that has ever existed in the cosmos. And the Holy Spirit comes to share that with us, which makes peace look like something we don't even care about. Makes joy look like something we don't need because we have face-to-face relationship with God the Father through Jesus. It means that we don't have to come and try to muster up these feelings in worship. It means that we don't have to come and try to be good Christians. We just have to remember who we belong to. Now, okay, I'm not going to... There's a lot of directions that we could go with what I just said, but... Let me give you a quote. Let me just end with a quote that every time I read it, my heart wants to just leap inside and my brain goes, what does that mean? It's from a guy named James Torrance who, James and his brother Thomas, they studied under Karl Barth, who Sean referenced. So this is good pedigree here. And James, he goes by J.B. Torrance. He wrote a book called Worship, Community, and the Triune God of Grace. And this is what he said. He's defining worship and mission for us. And listen to this closely and let these words sink in and we'll let the Holy Spirit show us what it means. When we see that the worship and mission of the church, now this is his definition of worship and mission, are the gift of participating through the Holy Spirit in the incarnate Son's communion, a.k.a. profound relationship with the Father and the Son's mission from the Father to the world, all things unfold from that center. In other words, what we were doing when we were worshiping, when we were sitting there singing, Jesus loves me and our hearts wanted to just like, bubble up with joy at the profound yet simple truth that we're loved by one so great? How many of you sat there and thought, I should make myself feel something warm right now? How many of you find yourself sitting there in worship and and you're singing and you're like, okay, now come on, where's the feeling? Where's the dedication? Where's the desire? Versus how many of you just find yourself being swept up into something transcendent? And you're like, wow, I'll take more of that. 
You know what I think has been going on there? Is the Holy Spirit has given us the gift of participating in Jesus' adoration of His Father. Saying this isn't something you have to muster up. This is a gift I am giving you. And it means that you don't even have to have your own. You don't have to try to fabricate or formulate or muster up a relationship with the Father. We've taken the Father's most profound relationship and we've shared that with you through the person of the Holy Spirit. Now you know what's really tough about that? Is that it means that all of my trying really hard is kind of a waste of time. But you know what it also means to me? It means, wow, what if I could just enjoy the ride for even a moment? What if I could just pause and just enjoy the gift of being able to participate in Jesus' relationship with His Father and realize that that's the Holy Spirit's favorite thing? So you know what Nathan did? Nathan went over to Sarah and he taps her on the knee. He's like, Dad! Which means a lot of things. That's his catch-all phrase. It means, I want that brownie, peanut butter, cookie dough concoction that my daddy's making, and I'd like you to help me get it. And Sarah goes, well, just go talk to daddy. And so he came over back towards me, and I was like, okay, bud. And he saw that I was done with it. And you know what he did? He runs, and he watches me as he's running towards my favorite chair in the corner of our house where the sun hits it just right. He runs and he climbs into my chair, knowing I'm making my way there because that's always where I sit when I eat this concoction. And he looks at me like, sucker. Now where are you going to go? And so I went downstairs and ate it. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I would be that dad, though. So what did I do? I take my little concoction and I go and I sit in the chair and I, I, well, I move, actually, no, I didn't move him. I pretend like I was going to sit on his lap and squish him. But, so I move him out of the chair and I sit down and I sit him on my lap and I, we share my little favorite concoction together. But you know the coolest thing about it? He knew without a shadow of a doubt that he was totally right in asking that of me and that it would bring the most profound delight to my heart for me to share that with him. He wasn't like, does daddy want to share? He wasn't like checking with Sarah, like, can you kind of talk him into sharing this with me? He knew that I would delight in sharing everything I have with him. And his eagerness and confidence in that just melted my heart. And there's one little catch because he, never mind. I have to wash a lot of chocolate off of myself after I share that with Nathan. But the beautiful thing is he just knows that everything that daddy has belongs to him. And so he just runs and climbs in my chair. And I thought, what would it look like if I actually took that posture of eagerness and confidence with Jesus, believing that the Holy Spirit's favorite thing is to take everything Jesus has and make it available to me. Will that change the way I prayed? Will that change the way I worshipped? Will that change the way I talked to you? 
Would that change the way I read my Bible? Would that change the way I pull weeds? If I saw all of that as participating in Jesus' relationship with the Father through the Holy Spirit? Now, how many of you are hungry for brownies? No, we didn't bring brownies. I'm so sorry. At least I'll get you the... But let me pull back for a minute. Let me just ask you, what... Let's... We have time for maybe... We're going to have to limit it to 17 comments. Totally. Um, what does this mean to you? What's, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you through what I'm trying to convey through brownies and cookie dough and all of it? Gluten? Yeah. Absolutely. And I don't know if you could see it from back there, but I think this quote speaks to that in a profound way. Because it holds worship and mission together. Worship is the gift of participating in the Son's relationship, communion with the Father. And mission is participating in the Son's sentness from the Father. To go and bring that enjoyment to those whose eyes haven't been opened to it or who haven't experienced it. There is a tension there. And the Holy Spirit has it all covered. Just says, now, go. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Brandon. I love that Nathan has a a buddy, and the amen buddy. Yeah. Yeah, Simon. So, I love Yeah. Yeah, like, what would that, what might that even look like? And is that for us? Is that something you've been, yeah. It's, there's no simple answer for that, except for step out and see, maybe? <laughs> right? Yeah. Allie. Yeah. I, can, I, can I just, yeah. Can I make one little, I'm going to make one little comment about that. And, so my background with Youth with a Mission was all about evangelism and sharing your faith and all these things. And there's all these formulas for it in some places and these rules about follow-up and stuff like that. And when I look at the scriptures, I realize that Jesus was really bad at follow-up. You notice that? Like that term, follow-up, it's like getting them plugged into a church and stuff like that. Jesus would send people away. People would come to him and be like, teacher, can I follow you? He's like, nah. He's like, no, go back to your family. Go do this. The rich young ruler comes to him, Jesus is like, oh, well, he makes it as hard as possible. He's like, go sell everything you have and give the money to the poor, and then I'll think about it. That's not super inclusive, like, strong evangelism technique, right, if you want your community to grow. But you know what I think might be going on there? Is what if that has to do with Jesus' profound trust in the Holy Spirit to continue working in people's lives even when we miss it? That's super reassuring to me. So the Holy Spirit's like, um, I'm doing a lot of work here. And, and I invited you into this little piece, but it's still an invitation to participate in what I'm doing. Now there's a tension there that goes back to what Brandon's saying. But I think the more we walk with the Holy Spirit, the more human and natural that becomes. And the more an expression of our identity and our uniqueness. Yeah, yeah I like that. Because... Christianity gets tiring if you carry all the weight of it yourself. <laughs> How many of you, raise your hand if you've been burnt out with doing religious stuff before? <laughs> raise your hand if you're too tired to raise your hand. <laughs> yeah, I know. The beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit says, hey, I got this. I'm just inviting you to play. Now, sometimes it might look like work on the outside, but I'm inviting you to play. 
So who would like prayer for something along those lines? I know, Al, we could, can we pray for you this morning? I mean, can a couple of people come with you and just <laughs> put you on the spot? Um, I have a prayer request. My back is killing me. Like, I don't know what it is, but my lower back is feeling really, really not good. And I would love someone or somebody's to, to pray for my back. So who else has something, whether it's a physical thing or, yeah, Ali, you have something you'd like prayer for? Okay, so... Um, yeah, Sean, let's do this. Who else has something that you would really like a couple of people to come around you and listen to the Holy Spirit and pray for you? Will you raise your hand real quick? 